thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you so much for everything that he's taught us. Father, I pray tonight that for all of us, we can open our ears and open our hearts to what you're telling us. pray this in your son's name. Amen. So Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never, e- you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I've actually got to start tonight uh, with a confession, and it's a pretty embarrassing one, uh, but I feel that you guys are a non judgmental crowd, so I won't you know, bust my chops too hard about it. I probably have the worst sense of navigation, the worst sense of direction of anyone in the Southern Hemisphere if we are in the Southern Hemisphere. No, we are. Okay, I am shocking. And the worst part about this is I was in the army. Not only was I in the army, okay, I was in the infantry. Does everyone here know what the infantry is? No? Righto. We're foot soldiers. We walk around. Pretty much the primary goal of the infantry is to know where you're going. Okay? If you can't find the enemy, you can't kill them, can you? So the fact that I was in the infantry, and when I'd open a compass, I'd be like, what's the N stand for? What's that about? No idea. They're terrible. 
the GPS in the car sort of helped me out a little bit, but besides probably the three or four streets around where I live, I've got no idea. If you tell me, okay, go to Gosford, I'll end up at Terrigal Beach. Okay? Tell me to go to Gosford, I'll end up in Newcastle. Okay? I've got no idea where I'm going. And probably uh, the worst time this ever happened, besides the times in the army, was when I was 10 years old. And my family and I, for whatever reason, were on holidays in Victoria. I wouldn't recommend it, Victoria. Overrated. Cold. But we were down in Victoria, and we decided to go bushwalking. On its own, this is a freak occurrence in my family. We're a city family. Okay, we watch the television, and that is our exercise. Click. Okay, that is our exercise. But for whatever reason, mum and dad were like, we're in the bush, let's go bushwalking. And I was obviously stoked because I don't think I'd seen many trees before growing up in the middle of the city. So I was like, boom, just straight off the mark, running. And mum and dad and the rest of my brothers and sisters were still sort of pondering around. And I just ran off. Okay, and then we hit the the next track and turned to the left and to the right. Okay, you know what the bush is like. And then probably 20, 25 meters, sorry, 20, 25 minutes later, running, oh, stop. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. I'm lost. And I was dead set lost. I had no idea where I was. Worst of all, I waited. I waited 10, 15 minutes fretting, okay? So I was thinking, oh, serial killers, you know, killer kangaroos, right? I drop bears, who knows what it is. I was thinking, this is going to hit me, okay? And I'm sitting there fretting, waiting for my mum and dad to come and get me. But because I'd taken so many left and right turns, they had no idea where I was. And I was dead set lost. So I retracked probably for half an hour, ended up in a parking lot. And there was another family sort of in this parking lot. And this little, you know, kid with a mullet walked up to them. Excuse me, I'm lost. Like that, And they said, all right, mate, stay there. And eventually my parents arrived. I think they were actually pretty oblivious to the fact I was lost. There's so many of us, but they arrived and, you know, happy sort of reuniting. You know, I reckon that's a little bit like life. Okay, sometimes we're going along, we take a different track, we make a decision that sends us a different way or the other, and before we know it, we're lost. Before we know it, we might be wandering around, doing our own thing, and we don't even know we're lost. But it's when that moment happens, when that moment happens that you stop and you take heed of your life. I don't know if this is just me, but you take heed of your life and you go, how did I get here? What decisions did I make along the way? What corners did I choose to make that I shouldn't that have resulted in me ending up in this place? Tonight, I'm asking you to take the plunge right now and to think about your life. Stop and think about where you are. Think about what track you're walking on and where, most importantly, it's leading. Who is directing it? Are you safe? Are you assured that you're living, you're living your life the way you were meant to? Or, as in my experience, most people, so if you feel this way, you're not alone, most people feel you're actually lost. Are you living your life without meaning? without purpose, just stumbling along from day to day, just trying anything you can do to find a purpose. See, I reckon there's only three ways you can actually live this life. 
and that everyone sitting right here is living one of those three ways. Now, that's a pretty outrageous statement because in front of me, we have a couple of hundred people, they're black and white, rich and poor, coasty, Sydney, okay, people from everywhere, people from every different background. But I'm saying right now that there's only three ways that all of you are living. And I want you to think about as we go through these three ways, which one you are, and at the end of it, actually come back and go, yeah, he's right, or come back and hit me up and go, nah, mate, you've got no idea, it's clueless. I reckon the first way that most people live is that there's those among us sitting right here who aren't even sure there is a God. But if there is, he can get the heck away from me. I want nothing to do with him. Maybe he's there, maybe he's not. But I'm not going to have anyone telling me how to live my life. I'm living my life the way that I want to live it. And I don't need no rules and no regulations from some book or from some God. I know this way pretty well because that's how I lived for 28 years of my life. Okay? I was the boss. I was the one behind that compass going nowhere. And I reckon there's a whole group of people sitting right in front of me now that are in that camp. God, you might be there, you might not, but who are you to tell me what to do? Now, the second group of people sitting out here tonight are the people who think, you know what? Yeah, I believe in God, and I believe God loves me because... I'm actually pretty good. I do all the right things. I go to church. I'm religious. I donate money to, to World Vision. I don't cheat on my exams. I don't cheat on my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Okay, I'm a pretty good person. It's no wonder God loves me. Okay, probably look in the mirror. Okay, or take selfies of yourself. Going, yeah. This makes sense. I reckon there's a whole mob of people here who think that God loves them because of what they do. God loves them because they've earned it. But there's also a third way to live, a better way. And that's the way that I want us to look at tonight. Now, it's a way of living that will change every facet of your life, every relationship in your life, the purpose and direction of your life. And I'm so excited to actually get into it and look at what it's all about. My mind, you see, I reckon it's amazing that before we even open up the Bible, before we even look at the reading that I read out to us before and see what Jesus was saying, you are already deeply involved in this story. You, okay? Because you see, when Jesus is telling this story, he's actually in the middle of a road trip. He's going from his hometown of Nazareth down to Jerusalem. But in those days, they didn't have the F2, okay? They didn't have roads. He wasn't hitchhiking. He was on foot. Now, that's the distance of Sydney to Newcastle, okay? And he's walking it, okay? And we think we had a bad 42 degrees the other day. Okay, that's nothing to the Middle East. And he's walking around. So what's he do on the way? Well, he's stopping off. He's stopping at towns and villages to be refreshed, to rest, but also to teach and to preach and to heal. And it's here, right now, in some nameless town that we have Jesus in this story, okay? And we see it here. In chapter 15, at the very beginning of the reading, that Jesus is speaking to people just like us. You see the beginning of chapter 15? It's got the tax collectors and the sinners. That's the people from the first group. People are like, God or no God, get out of my face. I'll do what I want. But he's also speaking to Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're the people looking at themselves going, yeah, this guy, I'm awesome. Okay, check me out. God, no wonder you love me. That's the second group of people. But he's also speaking to his disciples, and we'll get onto those blokes in a little bit. 
So we find out that Jesus is speaking to sinners, okay, and to Pharisees. To group number one and group number two. And these disciples. These are the three ways that people live. So before he even utters a word, he is talking directly to you in whatever situation you're in. But the amazing thing isn't the audience that Jesus is speaking to. It's what he's saying to them. See, guys, what I want you to notice is that it's not that Jesus is speaking to you. Because you know what? A lot of us have had Jesus speaking to us our whole lives. A lot of us have had church and Sunday school and youth and all sorts of things. The amazing thing here is that Jesus is speaking about you. Jesus Christ might have said these words 2,000 years ago, but regardless of whether you're black and white, rich or poor, Coastview or Sydney, he is speaking about you. You see, we're going to see that all of us reject God. None of us choose the way of him. In this parable, Jesus is using the examples of brothers to talk about us. The father in the story is God. And this is a story, yeah, all about how we act towards God, but more importantly than that, this is a story about how God acts towards you, how God acts towards us. The parable starts with the younger brother approaching the father with a request to have his inheritance now. We see it at the end of verse 11. There was a young man, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You guys know what's just happened here? The younger brother has just gone up to his dad and said, Dad, I want you dead. You are nothing to me alive except the money that you are holding from me. Give me what is mine now. Give me what's in, my, in your will so I can take it and do what I want and have nothing more to do with you. So he gets his money and he deserts home and he goes off to live life how he wants. Can you guys imagine right now tonight when we finish up here, going back to your house and going up to your mum and dad and going, Oi, mum, dad, I want you dead. You're nothing to me. Now, you're nothing to me except the money that's in, that you're spending in your bank account that's mine. So give it to me now. We can't imagine doing that, can we? It'd be crazy. I know the answer I'd get if I asked my dad, and he's an old bloke. Okay, he'd still probably roundhouse kick me to the side of the head. Okay? We can't imagine doing something like that. It's crazy. Or can we? Actually, we've all done the exact same thing to God. God created us. God loved us and gave us this amazing earth to live on. But all we've done our whole lives is throw it back in his face and say, give me what's mine and then get out of here. Don't you tell me what to do. I know better than you. See, the youngest son, he took everything he'd been given and he blew it all trying to find happiness. Verse 13, not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and went off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Man, you know, for him, for this guy, this younger son, it's just like a lot of us 2,000 years later. He gets his cash, and what does he spend it on? He blows it on partying. We find out later in the reading on prostitutes. He blows it on sex and drinking and wild living. That means now what it meant back then. He ends up feeding pigs. For Jewish people, that's the equivalent of like selling drugs or prostituting yourself. He's hit rock bottom. 
guys, I want you to assess, as I asked before, as we said before, that we'd stop and think, I want you to assess how much you are like this younger brother. There are so many things out there, whether it be your mates, your friends, the media, Hollywood, you know, music industry, whatever, telling us that we should do. Sleep around. Never hurt anyone. Chase money. Give your life to getting a good job or, or money. That'll make you happy. Just focus your entire life on getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Get drunk. It's fun. Why do people do these things? Seriously, why do people do these things? Because all of us, deep down, are searching desperately for something to give our lives meaning. All of us want to make our lives count. All of us want to make our lives count. We're desperately searching for something that will satisfy us, that will give us and that will fill us that huge God-shaped hole in our hearts. Problem is, just like the youngest son, you'll find out that none of those things will satisfy you. And don't get me wrong, you'll find gratification. You'll find short-term pleasure. Getting drunk, earning cash, having sex. It'll be fun for a short period. But it doesn't matter how much money you earn. It doesn't matter how much sex you have. It doesn't matter how much booze you drink. It'll never be enough. It'll never satisfy your soul. You have a hole in your heart. We all do. It is shaped perfectly for God. And trying to fill it with anything else is like getting a pebble from, from the floor and throwing it into the ocean. It doesn't even create a ripple. Is that what your life is all about? Seriously, are you born and then you've got school, friends, marriage, job, or job, marriage, and death? Is that it? That's what the world says. That's it. But here's the truth. You were made for something better than that. You were made for something more important than that. You can spend your life chasing after those things. You can spend your life doing all those things. But deep down, you'll be like the younger son, desperate and alone. You see here, that's not the end of the story. Even though we've spent our entire lives walking away from God, what does he do? He welcomes us home with open arms. I want you to take a step back again and imagine doing all of that to your parents. Imagine going up to them saying, give me my cash, I want you dead, and then going off and just splurging it, wasting it all. Can you imagine what their reaction would be if you came crawling back? The amazing part of this parable isn't the outrageous behavior of the younger son, but his father's response to him. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he went up, he got up and went to his father. You know what, we see the younger brother here, what's, what happens to him? He comes to his senses. He realizes that life was actually far better living it with his father. He has what we call an epiphany. Okay, what, you know, a realization. One of those moments, oh, a moment of clarity. Life is actually better with my father. The son had a realization that because of everything he had done, 
because of the way he had rejected his dad and wanted him dead, that he was no longer worthy. You see, his realization isn't, oh, dad's a sucker, he's going to take me back. His realization is, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. He had not only sinned against other people, but he would sinned against God. The son's great realization wasn't that he deserved his father's love and he was going to get it back. The great realization was that he didn't. Maybe you're sitting here listening to me and going, mate, this old bloke, what's he on about? I'm not that bad. Okay? He's obviously some sort of bogan. He's done stupid stuff. But I'm not, I'm not that bad. I was never that bad. What I want you to do now is imagine going to a movie cinema. Okay? I want you to imagine stepping in and, w- and walking into the foyer and you're like, right, okay, I've got popcorn and Coke and what are those ice creams called? Chock Top. Get one of those. Right, yeah, because it's the middle of the day, you've got nothing to do, so you're going on your own. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. It's just me. Anyway, you walk in, you're like, oh, and you don't know what to see yet, and you see, oh, Les Mis, nah, Hobbit, nah. And you see a movie that's actually titled your name. So for me, it's called Dave, or the name might be Sarah. It's called Sarah, whatever it is. That's the title of the movie. So you get your food, and you go, and you sit, you know, you plonk down, and you sit in the seat. And then you look around, and you go, oh, my goodness, this is embarrassing, but there's my mum and my dad. Oh, man. Oh, there's my, my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Who are they sitting with? There's my brother and my sister, and there's those blokes from school. But even worse than that, there's my enemies from school. In fact, there's that kid that I've never spoken to, but I've badmouthed forever, sitting there as well. In fact, sitting in that movie cinema, it's a huge cinema, sitting in that movie cinema is every single person you have ever met. Beyond that, every single person you've ever thought about. Massive cinema. Not that one. So you're like, right, whatever. Movie starts, credits start rolling, and boom, first thing you see is this huge, hectic birth scene, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's filthy. I know, I don't want to see that. <laughs> Even worse when you realize it's your mum, and you're like, oh man. <laughs> but then the movie starts going, and you're like, oh, okay, you're waiting for a soundtrack or something to kick in, but then the soundtrack does kick in, and you know what it is? It's your thoughts. Okay, so you're sitting there about to watch a movie of your life, every second of your life, the soundtrack to which is your thoughts, and you're sitting there watching it with everyone you've ever met or thought about. I don't know what you would do in this situation, but I know what I would do. I'd get the heck out of there as quickly as I could. <laughs> I wouldn't even ask for a refund for an $18 ticket. I'd be like, I'm out, okay? I, don't, I do not want to be there or the people that I know, know what I've said about them. The people that I know, know what I've thought about them. Man, the things we do that no one knows. I wonder what it's going to be that's going to make you come to your senses. For you, it mightn't be when you hit rock bottom, like the youngest son. You might come to your senses when you're midway on the downward spiral. You might come to your senses right now. For you, it might be when you realize that how you've actually been living, when you actually realize all the wrong things you do, when you realize all that, that's when you realize how deeply you need God, how desperately you need Him. And it's when you realize how much you've despised God 
And when you realize how much you desperately need him, that you start to realize how desperately God loves you. God is not angry with you despite the way you've acted. God forgives you. Come with me, verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? With compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. But the father called to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What would your response be to someone who had wronged you like that? To someone who had dogged you like that? Someone who said, I want you dead. I want nothing to do with you. Give me what's mine so I can leave. And then blown it all. What would your response be if that person come crawling back? I know what I would do. Punishment. How can I make him or her pay for this? Recompensation. But how does the father respond? He hikes up his robes and he runs. He runs to meet his son. God, despite everything we've done, our lifetime's worth of rejecting him, is running towards you right now. He's filled with compassion and love, desperately seeking your embrace. Remember that YouTube video that we saw before, the one of the, the girl with her father coming back from Iraq? Okay. Why was the response of the daughter so crazy? Why was it so passionate? You know, I'll tell you why. Because when your father or a loved one goes to Iraq or Afghanistan, you're not sure you're ever going to see them again. In fact, there's a good chance, especially for the Americans who have lost so many more than us, there's a good chance that he won't come back. Her response wasn't just a typical, oh, he's been away for a couple of months, a couple of weeks. Oh, Dad. It was everything. It was emotional. It was her heart coming out in her reaction, wasn't it? It's full on. It was a feeling of love and joy, but also relief, thankfulness. Guys, this is what this passage is expressing towards us. God is not just sitting at some arrivals lounge of an airport, waiting for you to earn his love back. God is running on the tarmac, chasing the plane, desperately trying to embrace you, desperately trying to have you home. We've all rejected God, but he doesn't sit there. He doesn't hold a grudge. I don't know what it is in your life that you've done. I don't. I don't know what it is that you're carrying around with you. There is nothing that you've done that cannot be forgiven by the love of God. Guys, this is the third way to live. Living as a follower of the one true God. Realizing you're bad and you've walked away from God, but that He still loves you. Because He's a loving Father. When the last thing this story shows us, yeah, is that God's love is unconditional. Because we see the father, he's celebrating the return of the son. He's got the fattened calf out and he's partying. 
that the son has come home. So what does the older brother do? We'll see it, verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. We can understand that reaction, can't we? You know, this guy, he's taken his cash. He's run. He's gone. He's been out partying, having fun, doing all that. And the, the older brother's been working hard and behaving himself whilst his younger brother has been off partying. And his dad forgives him immediately. Surely the older brother is in the right here. I mean, it seems unfair. How can the father, how can God be so forgiving? That's my question for you right now. How can God forgive you? He says that he will. How can he? Something I didn't mention about Jesus was that as he was en route to Jerusalem, okay, does anyone know why he was going to Jerusalem or what happened when he got there? He got executed. He was crucified. God loves you so much that in order to save you, in order to welcome you, he has sent his son Jesus into this world to save you. That's love. God the Father sees you where you are right now, in your rejection, in your sin, in your pride, he still desperately wants you back. Someone had to pay the debt for the bad things we've done. God is just. And so he sent his own son, Jesus, into this world in order to die so you could return home. That is love. And that is how much he loves you. My second confession of the evening, and listen, I've been impressed so far that you guys won't judge me too bad is that, and this is embarrassing because we're on the central coast, but I can't swim, okay? I swim like a set of car keys, like vroom, 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 straight to the bottom, okay? So all my mates from up here are like, oh, let's come for a surf. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't, I'm busy doing stuff. I just can't, I hate it. I can't swim, I sink, okay? And this come true to me, it was really, you know, shown true to me a couple of years back, probably five years ago, when I was living up in Townsville, in North Queensland, and for some reason, me and a mate decided, oh, we'll go kayaking in the ocean. Okay, and no waves in Townsville, it's all pretty flat. But we went out around 200, 300 metres from the shore on this double kayak, and we weren't going anywhere. I'm pretty sure it's because the kayak, we're actually sitting at the back of the front. But we weren't going anywhere. Okay, so I thought, okay, take the life jacket off. What do I need that for? Maybe because you can't swim, idiot. But regardless, what do I need that for? You know what I'll do, mate? I'm going to jump in the water and I'm going to push it and give it some momentum and make it go. And then I will swim. Can't swim. Can't swim. I will swim. My alarm bells were ringing off. And I was like, ah, I'll be fine. Catch up with it. Jump back in and keep going. So surely now you can see that I am an idiot. Okay? So I do this. I do this great grand plan. I jump in the water. Push it off. Boom, boom, boom. And then wind. Kayak, 10, 20, 30, 40 meters, gone. Okay, and I'm like, man. So what do I do? I, there's a couple of options in front of me. Start screaming at my mate. Ah! I start trying to swim for him. I swim freestyle with my head up. Go like that. I don't, know, I don't want to put my head underwater because I'm scared of it. So I'm desperately trying to get there. Mate, turn it around. Turn it around. He can't. Okay, 
can't turn it around. So then I'm like, right, I've got to go for sure. Now, 200, 300 meters, it might not sound like a lot to you coasties. Man, I saw it and it was like looking at a horizon. It was that far away. So I'm like, I'm going for it. So I start going for it. Start swimming. But as I'm doing so, my head starts to bob underneath the water. I start to swallow a lot of water. So I decide to swallow my pride as well and call out to the people on the shore, save me. Well, they're partying. Okay, they're, they're drinking and they think I'm joking. Okay? So I keep going. My energy is sapping out of me. My strength is going out of me. My head keeps bobbing and bobbing underwater. I take on more water and then my life starts flashing before my eyes. True story. I wasn't a Christian and I was terrified. Okay? My head starts going and I give up. And I sink to the bottom of the ocean floor and I hit the sand. Now, there's obviously a happy ending to this story. And that is, I then stand up and the water come up to here. But I, I was going to drown. I was going to drown in a metre ten of water. Um, the funniest thing about that story, though, was that salvation was there the whole time. When I was peeking, you know, and I was screaming out, and I was seeking salvation in all the wrong places, just crying out to my mate, crying out to strangers, crying out everywhere. And salvation was right there. All I had to do was put my feet down. Guys, as silly as that is, this is the exact same with your life right now. You might, be, you, know, you might be crying out to your mates. Yeah, let's do this. You might be seeking it with strangers. Okay? You might be looking for that salvation, looking for that meaning and purpose in all the wrong places, whilst the whole time it's right there in front of you. And all you have to do is accept it. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is right there, guys. And it's only possible through Jesus. There are three ways to live. We looked at them. You can live separate from God. Yeah, whatever. Or you can live trying to impress Him. God, look at me. Look at all the stuff I do. Or you can live a third way. You can live as a child of God, forgiven, loved, welcomed home, no longer lost. How do you get home? It's simple. You admit that you're a sinner and you turn away from that life. No one's saying you're going to end up being perfect, but you turn away from that life. You turn away from those decisions from the way you were living. You believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. And you come to him by faith. You pray to him that he will accept you, that he will forgive you. You see, the door to God's love is open. You might think 
You might have thought it was closed, but it's not. It's wide open. And what's God doing? He's running through it. He's running to meet you where you're at right now, to welcome you in. Guys, the time is now. Come home. Come home now. Stop being lost. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Pray to God. Pray to Him right now and accept Him into your life. What I'm going to do now is I'm going I'm to pray a prayer. And if you feel in your heart that you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you're not there yet, then that's fine. There's no need to pray along, but you can pray to God asking for His help. After tonight, uh, while some other stuff is going on, I'll be hanging out around the backs. There'll be a couple more people just at the back of the room here. I'd love to talk to you. Love to talk to you and find out where you're at. Love to talk to you about Jesus. Because I'm telling you from my life, there's nothing better than Jesus. Nothing comes close. Any of the other leaders would be stoked. You'd be pumped to talk to you about it as well. So why don't we bow our heads. Uh, and if you feel what you want to, I want you to pray along with me. Dear Lord, I admit that I have sinned against you. I turn away from my sin. I am sorry and I ask you to forgive me. I trust that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to save me and bring me eternal life. Father, Lord, I come to you now by faith and ask you to take control of my life. Amen.